Welcome back to The Word Encounter, episode 258. Uh, We concluded with chapter 3 of 1 Peter yesterday, so let's pick it up in chapter 4. It says, following Christ, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same understanding. In order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. In other words, don't live selfishly just for yourself anymore, but live for God's will. For there, has al- for there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do, carrying on in an unrestrained uh, behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. So Peter says, look, you've already spent enough time doing that. And then he lists what that is. They are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living and they slander you because of it. <clears throat> and so since the people, since you, you, you righteous ones have chosen not to do that any longer, that upsets them. I think that upsets people when they see people living righteously because it puts a mirror up to them with, with regard to what they're doing with their life. Verse five, they will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. He said, but for this behavior, they will stand in account. They will stand in judgment before God and they will have to make an appeal before God as to why they lived the way they lived when they knew that they should be living otherwise. In time ethics, it says in verse seven, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. A lot of times we don't know what to do in times of of, of confrontation in times when we may need wisdom and we're, we're just ignorant. We don't know what to do. But the word says here that love cover, covers the multitude of sins. In other words, when people feel that love, even if we don't know what to do, that love can testify for us to them. In verse nine, it says, be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of Christ. Don't keep your gift to yourself. Use it to serve others. Whatever that gift may be, hospitality, prayer, you know, provision, whatever it is, don't keep it to yourself. Use it to serve others. Verse 11, if anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength of God. uh, Let it be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. Our life should be a walking testimony of Jesus living in us. Christian suffering, verse 12, dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. We're saying, look, you're not immune just because you're a believer. You're not immune from the issues and the problems of this world. So don't be surprised when they come your way. It says, instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, not for anything or or whatever, somebody wants to get revenge on you. uh -uh. If you are ridiculed because of Jesus, it says you are blessed because the spirit of the glory and, uh, and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a, a meddler. In other words, uh, let none of you suffer, you know, reprisal uh, uh, from the community for these reasons. You know, no, 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 no. Not for murder, not for because you're a thief, not because you've done evil or because you're a meddling person. But if anyone suffers as a Christian... 
Let him be ashamed, but let uh, let him glorify God in having that name. If you suffer because you're identified as a Christian, see, don't be ashamed. Glory in the Lord. Glorify God. For the time has come for judgment to begin in God's household. And if it begins with us, that, uh, what will be the outcome for those who disobey the gospel of God? <laughs> and so if the judgment is going to start in the house of God, then what is it going to be like for those who aren't in the house of God? Verse 19. So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. Let's go on up to the final chapter, uh, chapter 5 in 1 Peter. It says uh, about the elders, I exhort the elders among you. I exhort the old people. See, we live in a time where being old is looked down upon, right? People are always trying to get young and whatnot. But there are cultures still that, uh, that elevate and raise the elders as uh, epitomes of uh, wisdom and knowledge, and they're to be revered. That's not the case in our culture, though, our culture being the culture in the United States. It says in chapter five, I exhort exhort the elders among you, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you, uh, all of you clothe yourself with, with humility towards one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. <clears throat> Notice he's given a charge to the elders. He says, you know, you can't just retire. You can't just check out. You have a responsibility. I saying you, I'm going to include myself in that category, too with regard to being an elder, an older person. It says, you know, don't do it because somebody might pay you. Don't do it because you you feel compelled or obligated to do so, but do it willingly. Do what? Shepherd God's flock among you. See, give them advice. Give them wisdom. Give them those advantages that you've accumulated over the years. And do it as God would have you do it for them. And that's the only reason. And you're also to be an example for them, for the younger people, how to live a godly life. You know, because your example is going to speak way louder than anything that you could preach to them or say to them. In conclusion, it says in verse six, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him. The word says all, all your cares and concerns, issues and problems, casting them all on him. His shoulders are way broader than ours because he cares about you. It says, be sober minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. The word says he's prowling around like it doesn't say he is a roaring lion. He's imitating a roaring lion looking for stragglers, looking for those who are not a part of the pride, a part of the pack. Those who are on the outside, you know, being solo individualistic. Those are the ones he devours because that's the easy prey. Going after the pack is hard. But the ones who are who are who are off uh, on their own by themselves. 
Those are easy. It says in verse 9, Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. In other words, the word is saying, look, you're not alone. There are others that are experiencing this persecution and they're suffering just like you. You see, you're not being singled out. But resist and stand firm in the faith, everybody. It says in verse 10, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will, uh, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. In other words, he's saying, look, your suffering is not hopeless. It's not going to go on forever. See, he might have you in a boiling pot for a little while, but it will come to an end. In verse 11, to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. And with that, we come to the end of first Peter. Let's move into second Peter. In second Peter is written to the church at large. There are some indications it's written to the same group of people that first Peter was written uh, to, but it seems like it's more to the church at large. This happens in around uh, 67 AD, about three years after the first Peter, uh, the first letter Peter wrote first Peter is uh, Peter's most likely in Rome. And it's written to warn the people, warn the believers against false teaching and to encourage them to grow in faith and knowledge of Jesus. Now, uh, as a side note, around this time, Peter, we're going to see that Peter knows that his death is imminent. See, he knows that this is happening. So this is like one of his final or if not his final letter, you know, his final instructions before he goes on to glory. And as I studied this out and looked at things, Peter and Paul both died in Rome at around this time, at around, you know, 66, 67, you know, A.D. or 68 A.D. or, or somewhere in this vicinity. And so they were in uh, close proximity to each other and they seemed to die around the same time, albeit by different means. <clears throat> Allegedly, Peter was crucified up, upside down because he didn't think he deserved being crucified right side up like Jesus. And so that is uh, that is the traditional belief of the church. Is it true? I don't know. It sounds like something Peter would do just based on knowing him through the word. And uh, Paul apparently was beheaded by Nero. So they died different ways, but in approximately the same territory and around around about the same time. So let's go on with chapter one. It says growth in the faith. Verse three. Again, this is second Peter chapter one. His divine power has given us every uh, everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and uh, goodness. The divine power has given us everything required, everything we need to know and be about with regard to living this life uh, uh, for God has been made known to us through Jesus. We know there's no mystery with regard to how to do it. Verse four, by these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Let me read that again. 
It says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, if you possess these qualities in their growing, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we can grow in those list of things, then it says that our existence will not be fruitless, that we will not be useless, that we will in fact be productive in the kingdom of God. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. Verse 13, I think it is right, as long as I am in this bodily tent, to wake you up with the reminder. Since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent, as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made it clear to me. So Peter here is saying, look, I think it's right that as long as he's alive, that as long as I'm alive, I wake you up and I keep reminding you of the right things to do. This is part and parcel while I'm, while I'm writing you this letter, because I know that my days are short. See, he says, since I know I will uh, soon lay aside my tent, I, I know that soon I will be absent from this body, i.e., I know soon that I will die. As Jesus Christ has indeed made it clear to him. See, so the Lord has made it clear to Peter that your time is short, bro. So make sure that you, you know, get done what it is uh, you are to get done in your assignment. And so this is what Peter is telling them. The trustworthy prophetic word, verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses to his mystery. Peter's saying, look, we're not telling you anything as far as hearsay is concerned and passing along myths. We saw this. <laughs> we witnessed this for he received honor and glory from the Lord or excuse me, from the God of the father for he received honor and glory from God, the father, when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter's saying, look, this isn't hearsay. We're telling you what we saw. We're telling you what we heard. <clears throat> Verse 20, above all, know this. No prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were uh, carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter's saying, look, <clears throat> no prophet of the old order and presently is just speaking out of their own, no true prophet, I should say, out of their own soul. False prophet, uh, false prophets did and false prophets do. They said instead, the ones who truly spoke God's will are the ones who were carried by the Holy Spirit to do so. Chapter two says the judgment of false teachers. There were indeed false prophets among the people. So he's saying, look, <clears throat> Back in the day, back in the, um, in the days of Moses, back in the days of David, back in the days of the kings, he says, there were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. 
They will bring a destructive, they will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. They will bring in destructive teachings, even denying Jesus, the master who bought them, who purchased them with his blood. They will bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved ways and the way of truth will be maligned because of them. So they will make the way of truth, truth, the, they will have obstacles in the, in the path of truth. See, they will put obstacles in people's way so that they veer from truth and they go in a different direction. For if God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but cast them into hell and delivered them in change of utter darkness to be kept for, uh, for judgment. Now, there's, there's some teaching in here that's not elaborated on, okay? There's some details here. It says, for if God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but cast them into hell and delivered them in chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment. And so when Lucifer fell, because Lucifer tried to rival God, it wasn't just Lucifer. It was also a cadre of angels as well. And they all fell. They were all cast down to earth. They were cast out of the heavens and down to earth. And it says here uh, that God didn't spare those angels who sin, but cast them into hell. Now, is, is earth hell? I don't think so. I think this is beneath the earth, actually. But I don't know that for certain. I don't know. And it says, and, and he delivered them in chains of, chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment. And so when, these, when Jesus died on the cross, it says he descended into hell in order to make proclamations against those who were there. And so, and so apparently Jesus went down into hell after he died to proclaim judgment on those who were being held in, he, in hell before he was resurrected and then ascended into the heavens. Verse five, and if he didn't spare the ancient world, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness and the seven others with him, his wife and his kids and their wives, when he uh, brought the flood on the world of the ungodly. And if he reduced the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what uh, of what is coming to the ungodly. And if. He rescued righteous Lot, distressed by the depraved uh, behavior of the immoral. And so Peter's saying, look, if God, you know, did this to Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, if God rescued Lot, you know, if, 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 if God waxed out the rest of the world except for Noah and his relatives because of their sins. So he's saying, if God did all of this, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. If God did all of these things, right? He saved Lot, got rid of Sodom and Gomorrah. He saved Noah and his people and got rid of the rest of the uh, evil world. You know, so Peter's given these examples of how God, you know, sifted and separated the godly from the ungodly. And so Peter's saying, look, if God knows how to do this as he has proven, with regard to what he's done in the past. If the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from the trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, especially those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority. It says, you know, if God has done these things in the past, then God knows how to do this. Then God knows how to separate the godly from the ungodly how to keep the godly safe and punish the God uh, and punish the ungodly. Why? Cause he's done it before. See? 
Verse 14, he says, uh, they being the ungodly have eyes full of adultery that never stop looking for sin. They seduce unstable people and have hearts trained in greed, children under a curse. These people are springs without water, misdriven by a storm. The gloom of darkness has been reserved for them. They promise them freedom. They promise the unstable. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. For if, verse 20, for if, having escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for if these people who have come into a knowledge of Jesus Christ, see, these are the person, uh, the people that Peter's talking about, they came at one time into a knowledge of Jesus Christ. They are again entangled in these things and defeated. The last state is worse for them than the first. See, for if having escaped the world's impurities through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, they are again entangled with these things and defeated. So they knew Jesus at once, but then they turned and went back. See? And he's saying, look, when they turn and go back, the state that they return to is worse than their initial state when they first came in. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from, a, from the holy command delivered to them. It would have been better had they never come to know Jesus than to come in and then go back out. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit. <laughs> That's very descriptive. In chapter three, it says the day of the Lord. Verse three, above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Mockers, mockers will come in the last day. They will make fun of our faith. They will, uh, uh, they will come against our faith. Uh, they will make public and make known their unbelief. It says, uh, in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, where is his coming that he promised? People already do this. They know or have heard of the second coming of Jesus. Let's say, where is Je Jesus hadn't come? <laughs> you know, you guys are waiting for, for nothing. You're waiting in vain. That's just a, a fairy tale. That's just a myth. Jesus is coming again. Pfft, nobody believes that. That's what they say. <laughs> and you, I've heard it. You know, not necessarily said directly to me. I read a lot of commentary. You know, I watch some things. I hear some things. You know, the un unbeliever doesn't believe that Jesus is coming back. He doesn't believe that Jesus died, you know, uh, and was resurrected on the third day either. Some don't even believe that Jesus was a real person. That is just a made up, you know, a myth that, that, the, that the person Jesus is a myth. For, the, uh, for those that don't believe he, he was a, a myth, they don't believe that he's actually the son of God, that that is a myth. <clears throat> but they all say, they all doubt the second coming. Since they say, uh, where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. And so they're saying, and many think, look, things have never haven't changed they've been the same since the beginning of the time you know this god thing jesus thing pff, things haven't changed in verse eight it says dear friends don't overlook this one fact with the lord one day is like a thousand years 
and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay. So the, uh, Peter said, look, the Lord uh, doesn't delay his promise, but some people have an understanding of delay that's not uh, a, a, a delay from a heavenly perspective. They're, they're, that, that phrase delay is from their human perspective with regard to what that means. He says, the Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so Peter said, look, the, the Lord in his gracious mercy is, is, is executing his standard, okay, of patience, his standard as it's being applied to what he promised in order to give mankind as much opportunity as possible to come to repentance because he doesn't want anybody to not be saved. That's his desire. So he's given man every opportunity to get right with himself. But the, the, uh, but the day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, says Peter. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed or will be burned is what that means. But based on his promise, we wait for the new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And so Peter's teaching that there's going to come a day where the current heavens and earth will burn, but it will be replaced by a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness reigns, where all the sin stuff and whatnot will no longer exist. In conclusion, verse 14, therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight and peace. Also regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. <laughs> be glad for the patience of the Lord. It gives us, it gives our loved ones, it gives every, uh, every unbeliever more opportunity to come into the true knowledge of Jesus. So thank God for his patience. Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard so that you will not be led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stable position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Wow. And with that, we are finished with both of Peter's letters. And we will get into the book of 1 John in the next episode. Jesus is sending out his invitation as he always is, constantly, consistently. It doesn't take a break. It doesn't go on vacation. It doesn't go on holiday. It's always out there. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, the word says that you shall not be put to shame, that your faith will not be in vain, and that you will be saved. Doesn't matter what the unbelievers say. Doesn't matter what the mockers say. This is the word of God. Will you allow yourself to enter into the kingdom of God? It's just a confession in a belief way. Everybody stay safe. Be blessed. Keep your eyes fixed on the everlasting and eternal Jesus. 
And should he grace us with another day of life, we'll see you in the next episode of The Word Encounter. Bye-bye.